Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hey, good morning, everybody. So nice to see you. You know, in this series, we've talked about discerning God's will for our life, and we've uh, started with things that we could absolutely know uh, for certain are God's will for our life. And then in week two of this series, uh, we looked at decision making from a financial perspective. And uh, because finances touches every area of our life, it's so intertwined in our life. Uh, we looked at, man, how, how can we follow God with our money to lead us into God's will and make wise decisions with that? And then last week, Pastor Tom gave just such a, a great process, and I just love his heart, heart for you all, and just to have such an applicable message, a process to walk through steps to take, questions to ask when making a tough choice. And uh, this week, in this whole thing of trying to uh, navigate and work through our choices and how to make godly decisions. This week four of this series is uh, titled Living with a Poor Decision. Living with a Poor Dis- Decision. And specifically, what I want to address today is what do we do when there's been a poor decision made by someone else, specifically someone close to us uh, in a, a family relationship or a very close relationship? And I'll just be very upfront with you today. Uh, today's a, a heavier message. Uh, I don't believe it's a negative one uh, because there's a lot of hope here, but it is very real because the reality is every family, uh, every close relationship sooner or later is going to experience a poor decision and the results that follow a poor decision. And oftentimes what will happen is many, many times, hear this today, Many times what will happen is relationships are actually damaged or even ruined, not by the initial poor decision that was made, but by how everyone handled and responded to the decision. Like oftentimes what's really bad is not the poor decision that I've made, but it's how I responded to it, how I handled it, how upfront I was about it, how I responded, how I respond to other people. So what I want to do today is talk about how to respond to a poor decision And as a way of introduction, I just want to give you some examples of what I'm talking about before we address the points. We could come at this from a couple of different angles, Uh, maybe from a son or daughter's perspective, uh, looking at the parents. It's obvious that parents can make poor decisions. And from a kid's perspective, teenager's perspective, uh, an adult child's perspective, parents make poor decisions. Um, They could show favoritism within the home. There's absenteeism where they're simply never there. They could get hyper-focused on a dream or goal or ambition and neglect uh, the kids. Uh, Parents can neglect love. One of the things that that we find teenagers are just absolutely crying out for is teenagers are dying for the walls of discipline to bounce off of and bounce around in, but parents can neglect making those decisions. Teenagers oftentimes would love their parents to make a decision for them, but uh, find that parents sometimes aren't willing to do that, and the kids bouncing between ask your mom, ask your dad, whatever your mom says, whatever your dad says, and um, we know and live with, face with, parents can make poor decisions 
uh, concerning their own relationship, decisions that result in unfaithfulness or abuse. Uh, We can make poor decisions concerning finances and it affects our families. And what are some of the results of those decisions? Oftentimes it's rejection or loss of affection. Many times with a teenager it's embarrassment or uh, there may be a real fear to ever love again. Children oftentimes uh, make decisions that uh, might result in rebellion. And if you have a teenager or been a teenager, you've probably experienced some of this where they decide they know more than mom or dad know. I've shared with you this quote a couple of times because it just makes me laugh. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) Isn't that the way it goes? It's just amazing how much smarter your parents get uh, the older you get. I remember I had a boss once who Uh, one specific thing that he did, I just always questioned, why in the world would he do it that way? And in in my mind, I was just really critical of him, of why why would you do it that way? And then one time he went on vacation and made me responsible over that thing. And guess what? By the end of the day, I was doing it the exact same way that that he does it. I'm like, man, he learned a lot today, didn't he? And that's, uh, that's just how it goes. And people are out to influence. Man, people are out to influence teenagers, of course. Teenagers in the United States, I read this week, will spend over $250 billion themselves this year. Uh, Do you think advertisers know that? Uh, They'll do whatever they can to get into uh, our games and shows and channels and schools and influence decisions. And uh, just as parents can make decisions that affect a family, uh, a child can make uh, poor decisions that greatly affect the family. And We're all being influenced by living with, affected by poor decisions. And once you've been hurt in this area, it's very hard to overcome that. Uh, There may be guilt. We can't go back and fix the wrong things that happened. We can't go back and change the decision as much as we wish we could. There are some things that we end up having to live with. And so I want to give you just five things today that I believe will help you in the area of living with a poor decision. And the first thing I would say to you is this. Don't, and you might write this down if you're taking notes, don't carry the guilt for decisions that are not yours. The the truth of the matter is this. We all face and carry enough poor decisions in our own lives that we don't have to borrow someone else's. And oftentimes, kids blame themselves for poor decisions that mom and dad have made. Or mom and dad will blame themselves for poor decisions that their children have made. A spouse will blame themselves for decisions their spouse has made. A boss will blame themselves for uh, decisions that his employees have made. A friend will blame themselves. This is called false guilt. False guilt. So there's false guilt and there's true guilt. What's true guilt? Uh, True guilt is the fact that Scripture clearly teaches that all humanity is guilty before a holy God. And if we try to say we're not guilty of sin, not only do we deceive ourselves, we make God out to be a liar. And so guilt in and of itself, guilt is not a bad thing. It's a fact of our fallen existence. The guilt of my sin keeps driving me back to the cross. If the guilt of your sin drives you back to cross, drives you back to your creator, drove you to church today, you responded well to 
to the guilt, if it drives me to the will of God. However, when it comes to the feeling of guilt, of feeling guilty, we must distinguish between false guilt and true guilt. It is normal to have the feelings of guilt when we do something wrong. That's true guilt. So when you sin, when you do something wrong, and the, Holy, the, the glimmer of hope there is the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you still know between right and wrong, and you know that's wrong. Yet to feel guilty over things that you did not do. False guilt, it, it has a couple of different sources. One of them is ourselves, our conscience. In 1 Corinthians 8, it talks about a, a weak conscience. And it defines it as believing something that's innocent is actually sinful. And uh, we can have weak consciences where we're just uninformed. And we consider things that are sinful to be fine. We consider things that are actually fine to be sinful. And our conscience is confused. It's weak, but God can grow it up. God can sure it up, but can produce a false guilt. Another source of false guilt is the enemy, is the devil. In fact, one of the names of the devil in Scripture is the accuser. And it's a fitting name because Satan will work to bring to our minds horrible sins, cause us to focus on them rather than God's forgiveness, or do anything he can to cloud our mind with guilt and get us to forget God, get us to to not be able to see the path forward, the way forward. One of the places he's called the accuser is in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So this devil stands before God. He points out our faults, our failures, our sins. And we triumph over him. Not in our own power, no, but by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, because Jesus has taken away our sin. What's the point here? When someone has made a poor decision, uh, the enemy would love for you to feel worthless and miserable like you can't move forward. When the reality is, you know, a child could do everything uh, best they can and get great grades and be well-behaved and be a good athlete and never hit your brother and, and go to college, like all these great things. And your parent can still make the wrong choice, the, song, the wrong decision in your relationship. Likewise, with parents, you can do... Um, the best of your ability, everything you knew right to do, raise your kid in a godly home, your kids still make the wrong decision. Life is hard. Choices are tough. And so here's what I want to say to you today. Just because hard things are going on in your family does not mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that you're a bad leader, a bad parent. Uh, I mean, was Jesus doing it wrong when Judas rebelled? Was, Ju- was Jesus doing it wrong when Peter rebelled? Was Jesus doing it wrong when the disciples were complaining? When people would fall away? No. Was God doing something wrong when Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed in the garden? No. And, and the people around you can still choose to be rebellious. 
And now God would not have you just wash your hands of that and say, well, my hands are off. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. I'm not going to help them. But at the same time, he would not have you live under a load of guilt that really shouldn't be there. And while we carry responsibility in our relationships, the other person has a free will and they're free to make decisions and suffer the consequences of those decisions. But when that happens, be sure that you don't use poor decisions to justify your response. Just because your spouse did something sinful, something wrong, is not the justification for you to go do that thing or for you to do something sinful or wrong. It's very easy for a a teenager who has absentee parents to justify his or her actions because mom and dad aren't paying attention. It's very easy for one mate to justify their indifference towards another mate because uh, that mate made a poor uh, decision. But don't do it. Don't make someone else's sinful decision inform your sinful decision. God is going to hold us accountable not for the decisions someone else makes, but God's going to hold me accountable for the decisions I make. And Romans 12, 21 reads, let's read this out loud together. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcoming evil with evil does not work. When I try to overcome evil with evil, it puts me on the side of evil. Another thing I believe scripture would point to in in this point is, especially in dealing with family and close co-workers or people in your life, do not compound a poor decision by rushing to judgments or, or bad solutions. There's going to be times where you believe bad assumptions and you believe someone has let you down, uh, because they've let you down before. And so you believe the worst. A couple of bits of wisdom on this from Proverbs. In Proverbs 18, 17, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. I don't know if you've ever been in court or uh, sat in court and watched a case play out or maybe you followed one that's being reported. But oftentimes, what happens is one side makes their case. And, and it can take them a while. It can take them days to do this. And they've worked on that case for weeks, months, maybe even years. And so when, when they finish, if it just ended there, you'd be likely to say, well, that, <laughs> that's pretty open and shut. That seems right to me. But if it were so open and shut, it probably would not be in court. Same verse in another translation says, any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. So what we learn from this is in relationships, in relationships there's often a gap. When when you have people close to you and they, they disappoint you, what makes them disappoint you is the expectation you had on that person. For instance, you expect them to be at a certain place at a certain time. And when they don't show, you have suspicions as to why they did that. Stephen Covey says it this way. We judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their behavior. (laughs) Like, we trust ourselves. I know the full story of why I'm late and what happened and how I'm doing the best I can and how I didn't mean to hurt anybody. But we judge everyone else just by the behavior. And when people have a flaw or a failure, it creates a gap. 
So I'm just going to stay kind of on this lighter illustration to make a point, although I know what you're dealing with is probably much heavier than this. But if, if I'm holding a meeting and someone comes into the meeting 30 minutes late, the first thought that might cross my mind is that's disrespectful. And, and so they came in late. There is a gap. I don't know why they came in late. And I could go to that person and, and say, hey, you need to respect us. And, you know, I communicated well of where this meeting was and when it was and what was going on. You need to be here ready to go. So what did I just do? I filled in the gap with they don't care, they're disrespectful, they don't have it together. What if instead I went to them and said, hey, I noticed you came in late. Help me understand what happened. See the approach? I've approached with trust rather than suspicion. And they, they might say, well, uh, I had another uh, meeting run late and I had to pick up something for a sick kid at home and I was, going, I was actually just going to call in and tell you I couldn't make it at all, but I tried to be here for what I could. And now because you've approached it well, the relationship has actually been built up rather than wedged apart. Now, of course, if it keeps happening and there's a pattern that needs to be broken, we can address that, but now we can address it with reality, not with what I filled in the gap. See, if there's a gap of knowledge, instead of just filling it, you wait to understand. Let me say it this way. When something's up in your family, when something's not right, when there's been a bad decision, you double down on the harm that it makes when you start filling in the gaps and project what seems right or what you think happened because it may not be reality. And now you're making decisions based on a lie, not on the truth. And you want to live in reality. You want to make decisions based on what's true. Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. It's those who are patient enough to fill in the gap with reality and truth that have a breakthrough. Those relationships have breakthrough because they can solve the root issue. You know, maybe it's not out of laziness she didn't turn in her math homework. Maybe she's lost her way. She doesn't even know how to begin. Maybe your parent isn't doing what they're doing for the reasons you believe. And yes, it, it, what they're doing is harmful. It doesn't make what they're doing right. It needs to be addressed. But it's important to understand what's really going on there. Maybe it's not out of disrespect that he did what he did. And of course, yes, maybe it is. The truth is some people are hateful. Some people are rude. Some people don't get it. Uh, uh, that's not a reason for me to be hateful or to harm my family in the same way they harm the family. Revenge does not help. Revenge does not help. It won't make you feel better. It won't make the other person feel worse. It won't solve the problem. Revenge does not help. So don't use poor decisions to justify your response. When it comes to one other thing I want to briefly talk about here is it's difficult when you have a family member who does not share the same values or beliefs. And when it, becomes, when it comes to a close person who's unbelieving, we've got a number three, trust God to reach non-Christian family members. I think family can be the most difficult people to witness to. And I'm not saying uh, to not witness to them, but sometimes what can happen is we overdo it. Uh, like with a friend or coworker or neighbor, we might share our faith and, and then 
they move on it or they don't, and then we pray for another opportunity and we're more tactical in how we do it. But sometimes with family, because there's more exposure, we just keep pushing it in an unhealthy way. There can be a, a tendency to overseed. And I have family members who, they have heard from me. They have heard me articulate the faith clearly, what it means to believe, how to become a believer, how to be saved. And now I'm trusting God to put other people in their life to communicate the same message and for God to stir their heart. Uh, Parents, some of you here now, you lived non-Christian lives and brought your children up without them having been involved in church or loving God. And then God did a miraculous work in your life. And you came to Christ. And now you're involved in in new things. And you don't understand why your kids don't all of a sudden fall in love with Christ. And you've got to remember that they've been watching you live without Jesus. They've been watching you live without the church. They've had a model and an example set for them. And so it may take them some time for God to work in their lives to have the same passion you have about it. So be patient with your family members who are not believers. Be patient with God. And a lot of this with family, it's probably going to come through your life before it comes through your lips, your witness. They're going to be watching you. Uh, They're going to see how Christ changes your life. They're seeing how you're going to be different in the way you discipline and your activities, the things you're involved in. The fact is many people have never had someone close to them give their life to Christ. They don't know what it means. They don't know what it looks like. They're watching you to see what happens when I do that. What happens if I become a believer? And so you have a tremendous opportunity to witness to them through your life and trust God. Let's look at, at, um, at, or let me read this passage and then we'll go to point number four. I just love this passage in John 6. Leads up to one of Jesus' great I am statements. And he starts out here with a point that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. He says, you come to me, you have eternal life. Then he makes this great I am statement. I am the bread of life. And friend, um, you'll, you'll never hunger again. You'll never wish again. He is the bread of life. Fourth thing we can do when someone close to us makes a poor decision. And that is learn all you can from every poor decision. Poor decisions can be the direct result of disobedience, but not always. Uh, As Pastor Tom laid out last week, sometimes we just fail to get all the facts. Sometimes we try to make a good decision. Uh, We were wrong. And so what do you do? Uh, We've got to take time to learn. Don't Don't move to the next relationship without reflecting on the last one. Don't move to the next job without reflecting on your last job. Like Be bold enough to ask a couple of people around you My goodness, I don't want it to end like that again. Did you see anything of how that was going wrong? Could you speak to my blind spots a little bit and help me uh, see uh, where I was wrong in there and how I can uh, uh, help make sure that this doesn't happen again? And get some reflection, get some feedback. There are three or four things you can learn from a bad decision. 
Uh, I believe one of them is that we learn to delight in obedience. Remember from week one, God's will is found in God's ways. It's found in God's word. You're going to be happiest in God's will for your life. Man, I'm just learning to delight in obedience. That if God says it, I need to do it. Because it's the best place for me. I've tried my own path. I've tried my own way. I've done what seems right to me. And it's left me empty. I'm learning this even in some of my relationships. Like, as a grown man, I just got to tell you, I'm going to do whatever my mom tells me to do. Can I get a good amen from the moms out there? Like, trying to help you out a little bit today. But I'm just learning to delight in obedience and honor the people around me. The second thing we can learn is we can learn to be content. Like when you look around at families that live on your block and families that you're associated with and, and you see the results of poor decisions in their own life, you can look, God, look to God and say, God, thank you for protecting me from that. I know I've got my own problems here, but thank you for protecting me from that. And oftentimes when we go through a time when we've made a wrong choice, we live with the consequences, we come back, we can make the right decision the next time. We can redeem it. And things can happen in the way God intended in that moment because you're willing to be content and to learn from Him. God says, learn to be content where you are. Know that whatever He asks you to do, He's going to give you the power to do it. And I believe the third thing we can learn is we can learn to forgive. If, if there ever comes a time in your life where you're considering whether or not to forgive someone, stop for a minute and think of everything God has forgiven you for. Think of all the times you've been disobedient, all the times you've gone against God's teaching, how every time you came to God, His grace was full, forgiveness, when you seek it with a pure heart. So let me just ask you today, how long are you going to make a mate or a child or a parent, how long will you make them suffer for a poor decision that they made? How long will you make them live with the pain of knowing that you have not forgiven them? We often, too often we wait on one another. Like, we don't, we don't forgive them because we're waiting for them to ask for it and to feel that they need our forgiveness. Sometimes, they're, they're waiting to know they've been forgiven because they've blown it. They don't know that you'll forgive them. They're not bold enough to ask, so they don't ask, and they feel ashamed. And we're just waiting on one another. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, put this on, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, so you've put all this stuff on, how's it going to stay on? How's it going to be held on? Over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What, what's going to hold your family uh, together? What's going to hold our church family together? Because there's going to be mistakes, and people in your family are going to make poor decisions. It's not all going to go perfectly. Christ's love must compel you. Everything else will tear us apart. That's why the fifth thing in overcoming poor decisions in your family is this, is we trust God. Trust God to see you through. The word says that no matter what happens, no matter who flakes out on you, no matter who walks out on you, no matter who hurts you, that God himself will not abandon you. Psalm 27.10, though my father and mother forsake me, 
the Lord will receive me. If Jesus was really the Lord in the good times, and we talk about lordship when things are going great, we're in the center of his will and everything's clicking. But if Jesus is Lord in those times, then he's got, he's got to be Lord in the bad times. The Jesus we serve is powerful enough to do that. The same power that helped Christ overcome things done to him in his life will help you overcome whatever the poor decisions uh, that have happened to you in your life. Whatever you've been victimized by, the power of Jesus Christ in your life can overcome that. God knows and understands your feelings and he can help you respond to those feelings. Scripture says God knows your weaknesses. You realize he never asked you to be perfect. He knows every mistake you'd make. He still called you and saved you. God never expected your life to go perfectly or for anyone that you're associated with to be perfect. It's not a surprise to him. And in those moments when they fail miserably, when we fail miserably, God knows that and God is still very near if we call on him. Hear this today, Deuteronomy 31.6. It's echoed again in Hebrews 13.5. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know what poor decision uh, you're having to live with in your life. I don't know what poor decision made by someone else that now you have to live with in your life. But I would challenge you today to give those poor decisions to Christ. In fact, I just want to lead you in a moment of doing that right now. Would you bow your head with me? And I'm going to ask you to really examine your life right now. Just right in this moment, if, if you'd be willing, just in your mind, say to God, God, work in me uh, right now in these moments. Work in my heart, work in my mind. And maybe this morning, um, you come to realization, maybe you realize you need to take the first step, you need to apologize to a family member, say, you know, can we just pop the hood on this again, and can I tell you that I blew it, and it affected you, and I responded poorly, and I want to respond well. Maybe you need to say to someone, you know, I've, I've had a bitterness, and I've held hatred, I've held a grudge uh, for a decision that you made a long time ago, And through the power of the cross and the power of God, tell them, I forgive you. Maybe there's some things that are happening right now uh, in your life, in your family, decisions you're making or they're making. that uh, It's happening every day. You're living with it every day. And you just need to come to God and tell him in your heart, God, I'm powerless without you. I need your help to repent. I need your help to overcome sin in my life. And just pray to him, Lord, thank you. Thank you this morning for the power of your Holy Spirit, your presence in my life. God, thank you that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Lord, you say, your word says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And God, so the same power that helped him, delivered him from everything that happened around him, everything that happened to him can help me. And so God, I... As much as I know how, put my trust in you today. I want to receive that power, that perspective, your presence in my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.